Hey folks, welcome to the House of Kraus. I'm Richard Kraus. A little bit later on in the show, we're going to get a great story about the late, great Leonard Cohen, courtesy of Denise Donlin. It's an excerpt from her book, Fearless as Possible Under the Circumstances. We'll get to that in a few minutes. First up though, I'm gonna introduce you to two people who really need no introduction. People say that, uh, but in this case, it's really true. In fact, it's gonna be even more true after they announce the Academy Awards for this year. And I think after these people finish uh, mouthing and saying their acceptance speeches. Casey Affleck and Michelle Williams, Manchester by the Sea is the movie that they are talking about. It is one of the year's very best films. Uh, it is what my wife likes to call a movie that will give you Kleenex burn. So be sure to take lots of Kleenex or perhaps wrap a towel around your neck to collect all the tears. But keep in mind that the story of a young man, a Boston janitor, who is depressed, who has lost joy in life, who finds life to be a prison, who then gets news that his brother has passed away, that he has to go to his hometown of Manchester by the sea to bury his sibling, to become the godfather to his nephew, and face some ghosts from the past while he's there. Keep in mind that while it sounds very depressing, and there are moments of deep, real tragedy and grief in this movie, but there's also very funny moments and very light moments. And this features two of the year's very best performances from Casey Affleck, from Michelle Williams. I won't tell you the relationship. Go see the movie, figure it out for yourself. You'll be able to quickly. And the film was directed and written by Kenneth Lonergan. You'll hear him refer to several times over the conversation in the next little while. And when Affleck says Kenny, that's who he's talking about. So just keep that in mind. So here we are. This is a round table interview that I've cleaned up a little bit. And the first question that was poised to them was, did you work with Kenneth Lonergan to create a natural feel for the film? This movie has dialogue that just seems to flow from these characters without an ounce of pretension. That's what this question's all about. I don't know if it was necessarily work with him. I mean, there was a, I wasn't around for very much rehearsal, maybe just a couple days, but to pull off his, the dialogue, it's deceptively naturalistic, but it's actually, the writing is very structured, and when you have overlaps, the dialogue is written sort of side by side about when you interject into what the other person is saying. So it just takes a lot of preparation and memorization. Yeah, everything was on the page, pretty much. Um, 100% actually. So it's just a different challenge. You have to like make those words work instead of sort of taking the idea of the words and then paraphrasing them and making them the same way that you would say it. So it sort of sounds. Um, I think sometimes it can be harder, but it's ultimately the, the result is better. Then they were asked about creating the quiet moments in the film. What's it like to provide these very quiet but very intense moments? Well, I guess that those are the moments that like, if you sort of have some sense of what's going on in the scene, then they sort of play themselves a little bit. Um, and also I think that not to just sort of bang the, the Kenny's writing drum over and over, but it's the better the words are, the better the pauses are. So um, I think if it feels like real people getting real information, then you're sort of paying attention and you want to see what their reaction is. If you're detached and you don't care, then the pauses are meaningless in some way. Um, 
Um, it's a really like a very emotional movie though for the actors and you know and I, for maybe for the audience. So there's a, you know there's a lot of conflict, but the conflict isn't petty. Although sometimes on the surface it might be. Oh, do you want a pizza? I don't want that kind of pizza. Eat the pizza. Eat the fucking pizza. You know. But it's like, but what's underneath it? It's not about the pizza, obviously. So all the subtext stuff is. Is is about like really big things, like huge tragedy, but it's just not done in a melodramatic way, like and is very resistant, almost Kenny is almost allergic to sentimentality, and so he'll just find no matter what he's going to find his way through, avoiding those those landmines of you know, and um, and it sort of keeps it feeling very real and and. That includes the, the sort of moments between the lines. Michelle was then asked how she prepped to get into the really emotional parts of the story, some of which include a fire. No more than that. That's all I'm going to tell you. It's a spoiler to tell you anything else other than that. She mentions it in the answer. I just actually remembered. I hadn't thought of it that I did. You know, oh, it's a really... Um, I did initially do some looking on the internet for, um, and actually just before we shot, do you remember there was that house fire in Brooklyn and it was a Hasidic family that had left the, the hot plate had stayed on and they had something like nine children and maybe seven of them, I can't remember, and the mother was in fact, like in this situation, in, in a similar situation, and there was reportage about it around the, around the time, about what she was saying and what state of, it's hard, to, it, it's like, it's a strange thing to sort of be a voyeur on somebody else's um, pain when you're not trying, you're trying to lift something and then like take it more broadly, but it, it made me feel very uncomfortable to be, sort of making notes on like, and they said that she had, you know, the soot level was like this, and the words that she was using were this, and, um, but I always want things to be as, I just want to tell the truth, tell the truth, tell the truth, tell the truth, and we met with firefighters, and I talked to firemen about like what the kind of, what the sort of levels would be, or like at what stage the fire, you know, at what stage the fire is at, is there a need? Is there a go in there and get them, or is it too decimated? Or even when still something is very decimated, do people say, like, go in there and get them? So um, um, I always, I mean, one thing that's really a sort of luxury about doing this movie for me is that, um, you know, I didn't think of her as half of a person. It's a, sm it's a like, small part, but it doesn't mean that she's, like, a, you know, only half of a person. So as soon as I knew that I was doing it, I knew that I had, like, a whole person to go out and play. But it gave me, you know, I didn't shoot that much, so I had like ample time to prepare and to think and to wander and to research. So it was a real luxury on this movie for me to have all that time. Was making Manchester by the Sea an emotionally draining experience? I think that like that's probably what the experience most actors would describe having. I don't think it's unique or particularly like committed or brave or anything of me. I think it's just sort of what, what you have to do it's, um, is to um, go there and show up on set with, the, in, with sort of the right feelings. Be prepared to like play the scene the way it's supposed to be. And I'm just not good enough to be able to show up and be in a great mood and good morning to everybody and be, say, you know, and 
check in with your kids and to to all read the paper and then shoot and then walk into the scene and and be uh, believably um, you know gutted in the way that he's supposed to be carrying around all this guilt and devastated and feel self-loathing and all that um, so I have to really start like way back in pre-production and try to just slip into all your own worst feelings and stay there for as long as you can and um, because you know Kenny cast not not just Michelle although she's the the uh, summit of the mountain but the, all the all, everyone else is like real it was really good people would come in for one scene or two scenes there were some people who had, he had found on some play and they were amazing actors and and um, they were gonna be awesome and so if you just sh try to sh show up and walk through it or do anything but give a hundred percent and it would really you'd really look like a jackass and I wouldn't want to do that no matter what so um, I guess the answer is yeah it was, it, it was a hard hard movie to make and in that way but it was also that's kind of like what I like about making movies anyway if you're just showing up and hanging around on set and chit-chatting having fun it's just not really what's what's satisfying about making movies um, feels really good to be be somebody else and live in someone else's in some character some character's life um, even if it means that they're like have go in a their life is tragic in some way uh, and then you come out of it and it's a slow descent into it and then it's sort of like sort of a bad analogy but it's like you go to the gym or something and you kind of warm up into it before you do your heavy lifting and so you start in the beginning of the movie and you're getting into it and then you're sort of you spend an hour kind of sweating and working out and then you're slowly come out of it and uh, that whole time you are I forget that analogy <laughs> <laughs> this is the kind of question that gets asked at every one of these round tables when the movie is really dark and quite heavy what scenes took the most takes? The, sometimes the most takes is not the is not the hardest thing to do. I don't know why. Sometimes it's like a technical. Yeah. Um, mo the mo I would say probably the longest scene was the scene where I sort of come in to find her in the bedroom. It was kind of one of the lightest, most pleasant scenes to do. Um, take my clothes off and straddle Michelle. But. Um, is that why we had to do it over? Maybe I request <laughs> One more, please. I'd like, let me just try something different here. <laughs> but that scene there definitely took the, a long time. There's, you know, just because there are more setups, more camera angles and so forth. I'm not sure why. But then some of the more, um, what you think would be harder scenes to do, we just sort of started and did them and finished pretty quickly. Next, they were asked, how much information do you have as actors that the audience doesn't have and do you need that information to make the story feel very real? I mean, I always think it's necessary to fill it up to an extent, but, you know, sometimes, like, you can have a million thoughts about something, but if it's not on the screen, it's not in the movie, you know, it doesn't... Um, uh, I certainly had ideas about... I mean, I think that really it is actually there. I think, like, it's... For me, anyway, that in between time is there, which is like there was an incredible distance and um, a total separation, and that that then, you know, Randy um, like chose to stay with the living, and she 
put her clothes on and she put her makeup on and she went out into the world and she actually met somebody and then she availed herself to like love and to having another family. Like she's an incredibly, talk about a survivor, you know, she chose to stay and to stay very bravely. So, and I think that that's sort of in there, you know, you see her with her new husband and she's um, making deliberate choices about how to sort of keep going. But I think that's sort of in there. Next up, they were asked about the specificity of the place. This takes place in a small town in Massachusetts called Manchester by the Sea. They were asked, did you have to go to that place? Did you have to get to know the people? Did you have to get to know the feel of the place to really be able to sell this story? Well, I knew people, I, I think, like, like this, but I, uh, yeah. I grew up in Massachusetts. I never went up to that area of the state for some whatever reason, um, but it's pretty familiar. I mean, it's not so different than than anywhere. I mean, it was a it's a kind of working class community and of families, and um, you know, one of the things that Kenny does so well is just is make it universal. It doesn't really matter where the people are, you know, and whether it's you can count on me in upstate New York or it's Margaret and it's New York City and or it's these people in Manchester by the sea, it doesn't feel like some alien, you know, life form that you're like, what are, this is how these people behave when they have tragedy. It feels, it feels really relatable all the time. And I'm, you know, I don't know how he does it because, um, and it's hard to do, to write something that's very specific. Like, it is very accurate, it's, it feels authentic, it feels like he, this is a guy who grew up in this place, and knew how people sort of, what their accent was like, he was always correcting us on his accent, and I'm like, motherfucker, you, I've never even been to this place before. <laughs> but he, um, he knows, and just a very smart guy, and so it's super specific, but it's also very universal, and that's... Well, it's funny, because I'm from that part of the world, and... Me too. And, yeah, and you too, and and for me, watching this movie was like watching my uncles and watching... Like, I, I knew those people already, and that was, the, the for me, one of the, the entry points into this. Well, it might be that, like, we, I'm, I'm pretty sensitive to move, the authenticity of movies that are set in a place where I grew up and know really well, but it might be that we're just overvalue the like um, overvalue the like uh, specificity of a thing and really that like, people are people sort of everywhere and that to also a lot of that is attributable to production design and costumes and if those things are off then things start to feel off but those houses really looked like yeah. they look great inside of those houses did look like they were there they weren't in Southern California, or they weren't somewhere else, in Miami, and and Michelle spent so much time with the people in that area, and she she was the one who I remember fought with, you know, not fought, but argued, advocated for a certain appearance. She was like, no, they should look this way, and it's this haircut, and it's these jeans, and this is how it is. But, but it's true. Though. But those and details were right, though. Those details yeah. were the thing that. that that made me feel completely yeah, comfortable that's what watching makes this film. That was Casey Affleck and Michelle Williams talking about Manchester by the Sea. If you're one of those people that needs to see every single movie that's being nominated for an Academy Award, then you have to see this movie. Check it out. It's in theaters right now. If you're one more, though, for staying at home, as we do quite often at the House of Krauss, curling up with a nice book by the fireplace, then check out Fearless as Possible Under the Circumstances by Denise Donlan. She is a legendary Canadian broadcaster. She was a music executive. Uh, she was one of the 
founding faces on Much Music and the new music, two legendary music outlets on television that really changed the way the world watches and listened to music. She was also a friend of Leonard Cohen, the late, great Leonard Cohen, up until the point in which they had a little falling out. There's more to the story. I'll let her tell it. This is Denise Donlin from her book, Fearless as Possible Under the Circumstances. Leonard Cohen, you wrote a nice piece uh, recently about Leonard Cohen. You worked with him. Uh, he obviously passed away recently. Legendary artist. Mm -hmm. And you guys were friends and then had a bit of a spat. We did. <laughs> yeah. Leonard, uh, I mean, Leonard's the ultimate artist in, in many, many ways. You know, he's true to his art. He'll stand up and fight for it. And, um, you know, so and the, the challenge with a, with true iconic legendary artists is if you're a record company president, your job is to bridge the art and the commerce, right? right? And somehow help the artist uh, with all the tools that you have at your disposal to reach the largest possible audience, uh, hopefully put food on the table and, and help them live a comfortable life. And at the same time, um, so yeah, you get into these, these friction areas on occasion. Um, and so, yeah, there was one story. There's a couple Leonard stories in there about crazy listening parties we had sitting, you know, with our feet under a bed. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> but the story I think you're referring to is uh, we were doing a compilation record with uh, Leonard at Sony called The Essentials. Mm -hmm. And it was a time when compilation records made huge money. Um, now, of course, you can make your own compilations yep. with your with your iPhone on iTunes. You iTrace. can curate your own. You can yes. curate your own. Um, and so he didn't want to do another compilation record. I had to convince him to do it, and we eventually did. And when he went in to remix it and remaster it, and it was all great. And then he sent me the final track listing, and it was a double CD. And the track listing was missing the song So Long, Marianne. Probably one of his most famous songs. His most beloved songs. Yeah. And so I thought, oh, there's some mistake. And anyway, we got, he said, no, you know, it was never as good as, as uh, in, in reality as it was in memory. <laughs> <laughs> and he just put his foot down. He did not want to put So Long, Marianne. And so, of course, you can imagine that forecasts for the sales of the records plummeted around the world. People are like, well, they weren't even going to put it out because they thought the critics would be angry yeah, yeah. because it was missing the big song. It would be and, like putting out uh, a Beatles best of without She Loves You or, or, hey or something Jude, or Hey right? Jude exactly. or something. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so my job was to convince him that it had to go on and he did not want to do it. And we eventually got into a fight on the phone and he was so angry at me because I had to insist. Right. And I, you know, he was... N angry not just at me, but at every publisher, every record exec exec executive, sorry, every every corporate suit that didn't support the art, right, right? right? And I had to convince him that I did support his art. And, and you know, I mean, I had Leonard Cohen on a pedestal so high it had its own lighting and its own cherubs. <laughs> and because uh, I'd known him since the Much Music yeah, days yeah. Uh, and interviewed him often. Um, anyway. So I had to insist. We put down the phone. I went home. I was shattered that I had to go against Leonard's wishes. And what he'd said to me before we hung up was, Denise, if you go against my wishes, if you do what I've asked you specifically not to do, then you need to know that you will forever have in my heart a much smaller place. I know. That's devastating. I was breathless. I couldn't talk. Yeah. 
Anyway, I went home. I may have had a glass of wine. <laughs> and uh, well, I called his manager and just said, you know, we're going to go forward and I'm going to put So Long Marion on the record. Anyway, the next day I got this. And the reason I wanted to include this particular story in the book was because he sent me an email that was literally an apology email that I reprinted in the book. Uh, that was so beautiful that it it was you know in the butcher shop we call these world uh, in the butcher shop of the world these are small matters your heart your place in my heart will be you know forever strong or whatever I'm paraphrasing it such in the book um, so I wrote the story and I was nervous about it right? right because it makes him out to be a little cranky yeah yeah and um, and so a few months ago before we were heading into the time for the book to be published I I cut and pasted it and I sent it to Leonard and then I held my breath and then about three hours later bloop Leonard <laughs> pops up in the email and he says Denise he said uh, I'd forgotten that incident <laughs> it was like, I in haven't. my brain yeah. exactly <laughs> and he said uh, your rendition of it made me laugh please publish it with my blessing love Leo right, right? and uh, so when he passed uh, a couple of weeks ago it was I was gutted um, and uh, he will be dearly missed but I believe that his legacy is so uh, strong and so beloved that that Leonard will live on I guess that Leonard Cohen like a lot of artists and and you can tell me uh, was someone that was more interested in the next thing rather than looking back. Mm -hmm. Is that mm -hmm. perhaps like the prevalent kind of attitude? I think so. Leonard was one of the most thoughtful artists you will ever meet. So he was he was always weighing, you know, his even, you know, going up on Mount Baldy when yeah. he, you know, never uh, uh, he was always Judaism and, yeah. and Buddhism could coexist with him. Um, and he looked, I mean, if you look at the song, if the future, he, yes, mm -hmm. he is looking forward. Um, I don't know what he would think about right now. I mean, he died on the Monday. Donald Trump was elected on a Tuesday. We didn't hear, of course, till Thursday. Um, but yeah, we, we will miss Leonard. Uh, he was, he was a philosopher. He was a poet. He was a uh, he was the legendary lover. <laughs> that must have had some pressure. Um, <laughs> yes. But uh, yeah, we'll miss him and we'll remember him for a long time. Hallelujah. It's Denise Donlin talking about Leonard Cohen. Her book is called Fearless as Possible Under the Circumstances. The movie that we spent a good chunk of this podcast talking about and that we've been nattering about here at the House of Krauss for months ever since we first saw it at the Toronto International Film Festival. It's called Manchester by the Sea. Casey Affleck, Michelle Williams stopped by. Both of them are going to be nominated for Academy Awards. So go see this movie, take some Kleenex, wrap a towel or bring a sponge or something because nobody wants to sit in a puddle of their own tears. Also, be prepared to laugh. Be prepared to see a real slice of life on the screen. Manchester by the Sea, one of the year's best movies. Well, that's it. That's all the time we have this week for the House of Crows. We're always so glad when you stop by, but we're equally as glad when you get out of here so we can clean up and get ready for next week. Be sure to come back next Monday. We put a new show up every single Monday. You never know who's going to stop by for a visit. And who knows? It just might be one of your favorite people. So come on back and have a listen.